0: Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning, I'm James Holman from the Washington Post, and this is the Daily 202 for Monday, January 13th. In today's news, senior administration officials struggle to defend President Trump's dubious intelligence claims. Bernie Sanders finds himself the center of attention in Iowa. And Mitch McConnell's handling of impeachment is helping him back home in Kentucky. But first, the big idea. The only woman in Iran to have ever won an Olympic medal has defected from that country, announcing her departure in a poignant Instagram post this weekend that accuses the government in Tehran of hypocrisy, injustice, and oppressing women. Kimia Alizeida who won the bronze in Taekwondo at the 2016 Olympics in Rio, is 21 years old. She wrote in Persian that she's just one of the many millions of oppressed women in Iran. She's one of several notable Iranian athletes to defect in just the last few months. Judo world champion Saeed Molai left Iran and ultimately became a Mongolian citizen after Iranian officials pressured him to throw a match so that he wouldn't have to compete against an Israeli. Porya Jalalapur An Iranian para-archer who qualified for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics left Iran in July to seek asylum in the Netherlands. Ali Zeta writes on Instagram how much she loves her homeland, but she says that doesn't stop her from being angry at the regime that controls every aspect of life with an iron fist. She recalled how the government took credit for her athletic achievements while humiliating her for her efforts. She said one male official yelled at her that it's, quote, "...not virtuous for a woman to stretch her legs." She wrote about how much it bothers her that Iranian officials attribute her success to their management practices, which she says were actually counterproductive, including forcing her to compete in an Islamic headscarf, which is obligatory for women under Iranian law. She said she'll accept the pain and the hardship of homesickness because she no longer wants to be part of their hypocrisy, lies, and injustice. She wrote, quote, This decision is even harder for me than to win the Olympic gold, but I remain the daughter of Iran wherever I am. This is a propaganda coup for the West. It's also a timely reminder that America's disagreements are with the regime, not with the people of Iran. To wit, thousands of Iranians at great personal risk hit the streets once again last night for the second day in a row to condemn authorities for shooting down that Ukrainian passenger plane. Riot police used tear gas to disperse protesters in Tehran's Azadi Square as public fury escalates. Protests that began as vigils to mourn the 176 innocents who died in the crash quickly turned into mass anti-government demonstrations with calls for Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei to step down and for those responsible for downing the plane to be prosecuted. Videos show people chanting death to the dictator. Protests have spread to several other cities around the country, exposing the widespread discontent with the regime. Ali Zeta, the athlete who defected, didn't immediately disclose where she's taking refuge, but Radio Free Europe indicates that she may be in the Netherlands. One member of the Iranian parliament in an emergency session on Sunday accused incompetent officials of allowing Iran's human capital to flee the country, as he put it. Ali Zeta's move drew praise from the U.S. State Department, which said in a statement that Iran will continue to lose more and more strong women until it learns to empower and support them. It's unclear whether Ali Zeta will be able to compete in this summer's Olympics in Tokyo under a different country's flag. The International Olympic Committee created the first refugee Olympic team during the 2016 Summer Games and said it will support a team in 2020, though the criteria for which athletes may qualify as refugees hasn't been released yet. After Ali Zeta's Olympic victory in Brazil over Sweden's Nikita Glasnovic four years ago, she kissed the mat and she declared that she would be back to compete for gold. She sounds like someone we can all cheer for. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, senior administration officials declined on the Sunday TV shows to confirm President Trump's assertion that four U.S. embassies had been targeted for attack by Iran while saying that Trump's interpretation of the threat was consistent with overall intelligence that justified the killing of a senior Iranian general. Defense Secretary Mark Esper said he had not seen any intelligence that four embassies were being targeted, but he said he believes the president. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien said on Fox News Sunday that what the president said is consistent with what we've been saying. It's not, though. The administration has offered few details and differing justifications for the January 3rd drone strike that killed Major General Qasem Soleimani ranging from retaliating for two decades of attacks on U.S. troops to Trump's claim that intelligence had confirmed imminent plans to bomb four embassies, which is what he said on Fox Friday. Those remarks and attempts by senior administration officials to explain them have fueled charges by Democratic lawmakers and some Republicans that the administration has dissembled in its justification for the killing. Meanwhile, on Sunday, four members of Iraq's military were wounded in a rocket attack targeting an airbase just north of Baghdad, where American trainers are present, but there were no American injuries. Number two. After a Des Moines Register poll this weekend showed him leading in Iowa with three weeks until the caucuses there, Bernie Sanders clashed on Sunday with Joe Biden over Iraq, tussled with Elizabeth Warren over electability, and found himself being attacked by Trump on Twitter. Voters have been averse so far to most candidates who launched broadsides against their rivals, just ask Julian Castro. And Sanders has tried as much as any other candidate to craft a positive image. For months, Sanders' rivals declined to attack him, viewing little to be gained by taking on a candidate who they didn't think had a real chance, who has a famously loyal following, and who for most of the year was struggling in the polls. Even as Sanders started to go on the rise in December, raising vast sums of cash and climbing in the early states, The other candidates mostly focused their attacks on one another. Sanders' top aides have long encouraged him to be more aggressive with Biden, and for much of last year, Sanders refused to heed their advice. But that posture has been changing over the past few weeks, and dramatically so over the weekend, when Nina Turner, the national co-chair of the Sanders campaign, wrote an op-ed Sunday in a South Carolina newspaper claiming that Biden has, quote, repeatedly betrayed black voters. The increasingly intense fight between Sanders and Biden reflects their ideological disagreements, but also a perhaps surprising political reality. Sanders strategists a strategist believe they're competing for many of the same working class voters, especially in the early states. The new dispute with Warren, though, operates on another plane, as Sanders and Warren have been allies on some of the more contested proposals of the campaign, including Medicare for All, until she tweaked her proposal after sustained criticism. Over the past few weeks, Sanders hasn't shied away from contrasting their positions, portraying his Medicare for All proposal as superior to hers. A script, first reported by Politico yesterday, is telling Sanders' volunteers to tell voters that they're calling on Sanders' behalf, who had indicated support for her that Warren's popularity is limited to the rich and educated, effectively denigrating her electability. Warren was incredibly angry about the revelation and warned that Sanders, who she believes is violating a non-aggression pact they had secretly reached, could cost Democrats the ability to beat Trump in November. Both the Warren and Sanders campaign are telegraphing that they will go at one another during tomorrow night's debate in Des Moines. Number three, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's insistence that he will coordinate Trump's impeachment trial with the White House, and that he has no intention of being impartial, has provoked howls of protest from Democrats. On Sunday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi accused McConnell of orchestrating a cover-up for Trump. It's also prompted speculation that McConnell could jeopardize his slender majority in the Senate by exposing Republicans in swing or Democratic-leaning states to accusations that they went along with a rigged process running counter to the Constitution. Think of people like Susan Collins in Maine, or Cory Gardner in Colorado, Tom Tillis in North Carolina, or Martha McSally in Arizona. But in Kentucky, what McConnell is doing is savvy politics. The 77-year-old faces a vigorous challenge in November from a decorated marine fighter pilot with a record of high-dollar fundraising. The key to understand McConnell is that he is a survivor, and he's shown a killer instinct for self-preservation during six terms in the Senate and a record-long tenure now as Republican leader. Trump remains significantly more popular in the bluegrass state than McConnell, To the president's backers in Kentucky, from the small cities, to the affluent suburbs, to the rolling hill country that fans out just across the muddy Ohio River from Cincinnati, McConnell is doing exactly what they want. Many have long been wary of their senator, deeming him overly willing to cut deals and insufficiently committed to the president's agenda. His management of the president's trial, they say, will be a test. And so far, they say, he is passing. On ABC's This Week, Nancy Pelosi did not rule out the possibility that the House will subpoena former National Security Advisor John Bolton if McConnell blocks the Senate from doing so. Pelosi also said she will meet with House Democrats on Tuesday morning to discuss the timing of a vote on impeachment managers. Those are the half-dozen lawmakers who will prosecute the case and transmit the charges to the Senate. A trial could start as early as this Wednesday if the House acts quickly, though lawmakers and aides speculate that it will not begin in earnest until next week. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, January 13th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.